reading of God's word out of Acts chapter 26. Your bulletin in the screen says we're in 25 and 26, and we are in a way. But just to pick you up and set you down in Acts 26, starting in verse 4, I will tell you, Paul is one of those people God called to tell people about the love of Jesus. And Paul stands on trial for that love that he declared. And he gives this account to a man named Agrippa. He was the king of the Jewish people and a very important, powerful person in Jerusalem. And as Paul stands trial, he sees this as an opportunity to give witness. And so he says in verse 4, The Jewish people all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time, and they can testify, if they were willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road, and I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and what you will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul continues in verse 19. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, and then in Jerusalem, and in all of Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God, and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and I testify to small and great alike, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets of Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer is the first to rise from the dead and would bring the message of light to his own people and 
to the Gentiles. This is a reading of God's word. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you today celebrating the gift of mothers, recognizing that they and all of creation are a part of your good gifts to us. God, we see in the life of Paul here that even in the midst of challenge, you are at work. And we pray, Father, that you would open our ears to hear what you have to say. You would soften our hearts to receive it, and you would strengthen our will to live it out. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. With this time, we do have Kingdom Kids today, which is a ministry for those who are four years old through second grade, and they can head out with our Kingdom Kid workers to the foyer where they're going to have a chance to go and learn and worship at their level. They'll be next door in our education building downstairs, and that's where you can pick them up, parents, after the service today. So the question on my mind when I read this passage is a question about vision. Paul says in the middle of his speech in verse 19, he tells this King Agrippa, the king of the Jews, of Jewish ascent, the guy in charge of Jerusalem, says to him, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Vision is a very powerful thing. To have a vision for your life, to have a vision for your marriage, to have a vision for your family, to have a a vision for your work, to have a vision for your role and ministry in the life of the church, to have a vision for your relationship with God, to have this picture of the future that you're aiming at is an incredibly powerful thing. And God gave that to Paul. He gave Paul this vision and Paul lived out this vision for the rest of his life. We see him living out the vision that God gave him right here in the most difficult of circumstances. And I think I think we have some things we can learn from Paul about vision. I think three things that we gather from this passage are the benefits of vision, the guidelines for maybe thinking about how we can come across a vision that God has given us, and finally we see a promise and a warning regarding vision living. So beginning with the benefits of a vision-driven life, why is having a vision helpful? Well, first, because a vision... First, provides direction. It let Paul know where God wanted him to go, what God wanted him to do. It set his life out on a trajectory, and Paul had something to aim at, and that's what vision is. It gives you something to aim at in the future, and so it directs your paths today. Helped him understand how he should spend his time, what he should do with his occupation as a tent maker, how he should relate to God and other people how he should face challenges, and we're going to get to that in just a minute, but it provided for him a direction. Look again with me in a few parts of verses 16, 17, and 18. He says, I have, this is the words of Jesus to Paul. He says, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness. Here's the direction I want you to go. You're a servant. You're a witness. I'm sending you where? To them to open their eyes, to turn from darkness to light, from Satan to God to receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus is giving him this vision. 
which I think is a very powerful thing for us, is that we want a direction for our life, and the very best way we can find that direction is from God. And we're going to talk more about that in the second part. But right now we're talking about the benefits. And one of the great benefits that Paul experienced with having a vision for his life is he knew what direction to go. Not only that, he had passion to move in that direction. The second thing that we benefit from when we have a vision for our life is it ignites a passion within us. Paul was incredibly passionate about this vision that he had had from the Lord Jesus. This vision for being freed from sin, being made righteous in the sight of God, that he could not keep that vision to himself. He was so passionate about his vision that he was even preaching to those who were his captors, those who, who made sure that he was in locks and chains or at least he was uh, put away, that he could not be free, he could not roam and go wherever he wanted, he could not continue his mission work as he may have desired. It's a part we didn't read here because it was a lot of scripture, and I know you would have tuned out eventually if you didn't in that small section. But let me read it for you now because I think it's a really powerful, a very powerful um, example of how, how Paul's vision God gave him ignited passion within, within him. Just imagine you're standing before the person who may have some say in life and death for you. He says... Well, we start with what Agrippa says to Paul. Agrippa says to Paul in chapter 26, verse 28, he says, Do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul was preaching to the guy that had something to say about his life and death. And it did not escape Agrippa's notice. Why would he do that? Because he was so passionate about the vision God had given him. And listen to Paul's reply. Agrippa is aware of what Paul's doing. Paul's telling him about Jesus. He says, do you think you can just convince me here on the spot? Paul says in verse 29, short time or long, I pray to God that not, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. One of the great benefits of a vision for our life is it ignites passion in our heart and it overflows. Others are going to hear about it or they're going to see it. And that certainly happened with Paul. Three out of four, the third benefit that we see in Paul's life when it comes to having a vision from the Lord. First, it sets direction. Then it gives us passion Vision, thirdly, also promotes perseverance. We, we, don't, we don't forget the situation Paul's in, right? Paul is being held against his will for his testimony regarding Jesus Christ. He talked about it in the verse we just read. He's in chains, right? He was in prison for his faith and unjustly so, but we don't see him whining or complaining about it. And he did not stop testifying about it. See, these things did not squelch his vision. In fact, he saw these as an opportunity to fulfill the vision Jesus had given him. The vision actually promoted for him perseverance in the face of suffering because he saw that, look at this platform God has given me. When else could I have testified to Jesus in front of the Roman governor, Festus? 
and before him Felix, and now standing before the, the king of the Jews in Jerusalem, King Agrippa. When else would I have a chance to appeal to Caesar and be able to go to Rome and tell people in Rome about Jesus? He saw the challenges he faced as not a roadblock, but the very way in which God would bring about the vision that God had given him in his life. Again, just to remind you, 26, 19, he says to King Agrippa, I was not obedient to the vision. And he talks about in 21 that some of the Jews tried to seize him, some tried to kill him, and yet he says at the end of verse 22, but here I stand and testify. The challenges that he faced weren't a roadblock. They were the way in which he saw God fulfilling the vision in his life, and therefore he was able to persevere. When you have a picture of where God wants you to go, gives you strength to persevere through the challenges we face. Now, why is that? It's because the nature of vision is it is hope-oriented. It's a fourth and final benefit of vision in our lives is that a vision is about a better future, and so it inspires hope. And that's key to perseverance. If we don't think it's going to get better, if we don't think there's going to be progress, if we don't think that that vision God has given us, that we're making some steps towards it and God will bring it about, it's very hard to remain hopeful. But when we have that vision and we know where we're going, we know God will get us there. We can have that hope. In just a few verses in 26, verse 6, 7, and 8, we see the word hope three times. Paul says, and now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is the promise of our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Hope, hope, hope. The vision God had given Paul for taking this good news of Jesus not only to fellow Jews, but to the Gentiles as well, was a vision of a future that promoted, inspired hope in Paul. So you may say, well, all that sounds good for Paul, but how do we discover a vision that God has for our lives? I think this is something we can do. I think this is something God wants us to do. I think this is really important for us to have a picture of the life that God wants for us. A picture for our marriage, our parenting, a picture for our occupation that God has placed us in, a picture for our life with God. God wants us to have that clear picture in mind so that we can aim at that and have all these benefits that we saw in Paul's life, even a benefit that allows us to experience challenge and yet overcome. How do we discover the vision God has for our life? One of the things Paul says that I think is really important, in fact, I'm taking it a little bit out of order in the scripture verses that we've read because I think it is primary, is that Paul points out that this vision God gave him was in alignment with scripture. It wasn't just a fancy idea he had or a thought he had or a book he read or a conference he went to. In fact, it went against a lot of the things he thought and felt prior to meeting Jesus. But he would discover that all that Jesus had said and done was actually a part of God's word. 
then none of it was outside of God's word. Therefore, the vision Jesus gave him was squarely within the word of God. Look what he says in the middle of verse 22 of chapter 26. He says, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. If we're going to have a vision for our life, one of the best things we can do is read and understand Scripture. Because God is not going to give you a vision for your life that is outside of Scripture. Now, Satan does like to do that. He does like to get our trajectory off. He does like to show us some alternative paths that look attractive. He does want to give us a vision for our life that is about us and our fulfillment, what we want, what we desire. Satan would love to do that. And one of the best ways we can combat the vision Satan has for our life is to have a clear understanding of what Scripture has to say. And in fact, when you see Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, if you remember the story, after the spiritual high of his baptism, the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. What does he find there? He finds the enemy there to tempt him with the vision of his life, what he could do and what he could become and what he could have. And each time what Jesus does when that competing vision is being pressed upon him by the enemy is he says, no, 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 this is what God's word says. This is what God's word says. It is written. It is written. It is written. So the first most important thing that we can do when we're trying to understand or, or we're trying to seek God for a vision for our lives is to begin with a daily exercise of scripture reading and scripture study and scripture meditation, being a part of a small group Bible study on Sunday morning, hearing God's word on Sunday morning, you just fill your life up with God's word. And if you do that, whatever vision God gives you, you will see is clearly in line with scripture because you know it. How do we discover God's vision for our life? It begins with a good understanding of God's word. Now, let's say you don't know how to do that. Can I tell you, that's, that's part of what we're here for as ministers. That's what your small group leaders are here for, or, or to help you. So if there's ways in which we can help you understand God's Word and give you a reading plan, give you a study Bible, if there's some tools you need, some understanding you need, some structure, some help, some accountability that you need, that's what we're there to do. We're there to help you. So never fear asking for that help so that you might understand God's Word better. Now, the second thing I find interesting in this, in this story about Paul is that the way he comes to understand God's vision is through Scripture, yes, but it also comes through his past. There's something about his past that informs his future. That when Jesus comes into our life, he doesn't change our past experiences. He forgives our sin. He doesn't change our personality, though he makes us a new creation. He uses our existing abilities that came from him to begin with, and he adds to those natural abilities that he has given spiritual abilities or spiritual gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. God takes our past and builds upon it a future, a vision for the future lived with him. Look at what happens when, when Paul is describing this in verse 4 and 5. He says, the Jewish people all know the way I lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify 
if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of religion. Now, what did his religion as a Pharisee do? It gave him that knowledge of Scripture, and God built upon that. I'm convinced that's one of the reasons Paul became such a powerful witness to Jesus is because he knew the Scriptures because of his past as a Pharisee. God built upon that. Not only that, but when you read about Paul, I mean, you get a feel for his personality. I mean, he's kind of like a fiery guy, you know. He's willing to tell it like it is. He's bold. He's courageous. He's willing to go anywhere and do anything for the glory of God. He had that zeal before he was a Christian. God used that past personality and zeal of Paul's for his glory in this vision for sharing Jesus with the world. See, God will use your past experiences. God will use your passion. God will use your personality. God will use you, who you are uniquely created to be, to fulfill the vision he has given you in your life. That can be a very helpful way to think about, well, what is my vision? Well, how has God made me? What experiences has he given me? What what am I passionate about? What am I excited about? What what am I good at? And as you're thinking about all those things, you see that in Paul, that his past didn't just get washed away. It got transformed and used for a new vision for his life. And God can do that with us. So asking some of those simple questions can actually help us understand what God's vision for our life is. Number three. To discover a vision for our future that comes from God, that's in agreement with Scripture, that is uh, built upon who God has made us to be, we also see that Paul had this understanding or this picture of what God wanted him to do in the context of a relationship with Jesus. A vision is never something we go out and do for God. I can tell you, even as a minister, as a pastor, God doesn't need me. This this church has been around 160 plus years. I've been here a blink of the eye after seven years. This this church doesn't need me. The ministry of the thank you, brother. The ministry of the gospel doesn't need me. It's not dependent upon what I can do. The vision that God has for all of our lives doesn't flow out of us going out and doing for God. It flows out of relationship with God. That's where the vision for our life is. That's where the the power, the engine that that will take that vision and move it down the road is not us. It's what God is doing in us in a relationship with him. There's a little phrase here that we see Jesus use as he's calling Paul and giving him this vision for ministry. Remember that, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Paul says, who are you, Lord? Jesus says in verse 15, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, the Lord replied. Verse 16, now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you and appointed you as a servant and as a witness. And here's the phrase, and a witness of what you have seen and what you will see of me. There is this dynamic relationship in which Jesus is calling Paul to walk with him. Come and see, Jesus used that phrase when he was calling his first disciples. Come and see. 
There is no vision from God outside of a personal relationship with God. That's just our own making. We can come up with a vision for our life. We can come up with a plan for our life. People do it all the time. But if you want a vision from God for how to live your life, it's going to happen within the context of a relationship with him. And so when Jesus calls his disciples, he doesn't come attend my seminar and then go out and do what I'm telling you to do. He doesn't say read my book. He says come and see. Come and be with me. Later he would tell his disciples, abide in me. Right? If we walk with Jesus, we can do anything. If we abide in him, we can do anything. Apart from him, we can do nothing. John tells us that Jesus told his disciples in John 15. So if you want a vision for your life, walking daily with Jesus is essential. Fourth and final, how might we discover God's vision for our life? First, we understand Scripture more and more each day as we read and study it. We consider how God has put us together as a person, our personality and experiences and passions and giftings. Third, we walk in a daily relationship with the Lord God through Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And fourth and finally, what I have found is God gives you enough of a vision to act upon. He doesn't give you the whole book. He doesn't even give you a whole chapter. Sometimes he just gives you a paragraph. But it's enough. What I see in Paul is... God didn't lay out for him, okay, Paul, so here's the first missionary journey. You're going to leave here. You're going to go here. You're going to talk to these people. Here's what's going to happen. He just says, go. He revealed enough of the first step that Paul could obey. So as God gives you a vision in one particular area of your life, and at this point maybe it's helpful to begin to think about that, is there a particular area in your life in which you really desire the vision of God? Is it in your marriage or in your parenting or in your work or in just your spiritual life, in your ministry or service through the church? Where is that place where you feel most burdened that God just give me a vision, give me a picture for what you want me to do, where you want me to go, who you want me to become? Give me that vision, Lord, please. And maybe just to think about that and just ask yourself, what is that first step? He hasn't given you the ending of the book. He hasn't outlined all the chapters. Has he given you a paragraph? That's enough. That's enough to obey. One of the incredible things about Paul's story, soon as he's converted, soon as he becomes a Christian, soon as he sees that bright light, and realizes he's had an encounter with Jesus, you know what he does next? He begins to fulfill the vision. What he knew Jesus had already given him to do, he began to do it immediately. Look at verse 20. He says, first of those in Damascus. That's where he was going on his way to persecute Christians. Don't forget that. He's on the road to do that thing when he meets Jesus, and now he's given this new vision, what does he do? He just continues on to Damascus. 
And then to those in Jerusalem and all of Judea and then to the Gentiles. What was he doing? He was fulfilling the vision. He says, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. The very next thing he knew to do was to fulfill the vision by going to Damascus to preach Jesus. Maybe even here and now, God is giving you some sense of a vision that he has for some area of your life. Perhaps he's even revealing that first step that he wants you to take. Take it today. Maybe skip lunch and get after it. I don't know. But don't delay. Do the very next thing you know to do. Now, a warning and a promise. The warning why this is so important comes from the warning that Jesus, or from the scolding, I should probably say, the scolding that Jesus gave Paul. Here's the warning in verse 14 of chapter 26. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then the words of Jesus, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, what's a goad? You know, I always thought that was a plant. It's like, it's a, I don't understand, because there's a plant that comes with a similar name than that. But after some study, which it doesn't take much, good study Bible will tell you, that's not what a goat is. You ever heard of goading someone? Kind of, you know, prompting them, might be a nice way to put it. What it was was a sharp stick, and you'd use it with cattle. Sometimes it's called an ox goad. Hot shot, there we go. That's what I'm talking about. I don't know, would you rather have a hot shot or a sharp stick? I'm not sure. Well, what, what's, what's Jesus saying to Paul? He's saying you're only hurting yourself. You're off completing your own vision for your own life, and you're only hurting yourself. See, when God gives you a vision for your life, to go against it only hurts you. does not help you. does not hinder you. But, the, but see, we have an enemy. He whispers in our ear. He whispers in our ear. And what does he say? He says, you know better. This is what you really want. This is what's really good for you. This is what you'll really enjoy. This is what will pay off. You know. You know you better than anybody else. This is good. This is the direction. This is the way I want you to go. And we let that pull us away from the vision God gives us. And in the end, it's like a sharp stick to the side. It only hurts us. See, when God gives us a vision for our life, it does end up being the very best thing for us. But sometimes it doesn't feel that way in the middle of it can be hard, can be difficult, like Saul suffering persecution, Paul on trial for his faith. It can feel that way sometimes. Sometimes that's how you know you're on the right path. Because if we had a Savior who went through suffering, fulfilling his vision that God had given him, and we're supposed to be like him, the chances are we're going to have some suffering in our life too as we follow Jesus. So the warning is in the end, however, to not fulfill the vision God has given you only serves to hurt, to hinder, and not to help us to experience the full life that Jesus promises us in John 10.10. 10. But here's the promise. We got a warning, but hey, we also have a promise. Promise from Jesus to Paul, the first part of verse 17 is this, I will rescue you. Following the vision God has for your life is going to have some trouble. But Jesus said to Paul, and I think he says it to us too, I will rescue you. You may get into some spots, you don't know what to do. You may run into some trouble and you can't figure it out. But I will rescue you. 
We want to have the confidence that if we follow God's vision for our life, that we're going to be able to figure it out and have no problems all the way through. And that's not true. But we do have the promise that when we get into those spots, Jesus will rescue. Paul would even say to those who are standing in judgment of him in the first part of verse 22, God has helped me to this very day. As we seek to fulfill the vision God has called us to live out in our lives, I believe that we will be able to say the same thing, that God has helped me to follow his vision for my life this day and the next day and every day for the rest of my life. Let's pray together.